Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. Happy February, if you're listening on the day this drops, of course. Of course, if you are a patron, you're hearing this before February. Anyway, does your family do the whole rabbit rabbit thing? Mine never did. Um, maybe, maybe I should so that 2021 doesn't go the way of 2020. Um, my 2021 has been good mostly so far, you know, coup attempt the other day, but whatever. Oh, not whatever. It's a serious thing. Um, yeah, I, but does not relate to this play at all. So I'm just going to take a deep breath and talk about Plautus instead. Um, I hope that coup attempts aside, your 2021 is going okay so far. Um, Today, we have another comedy from Plautus. Um, And this one reminds me a little bit of Gilbert and Sullivan's Yeoman of the Guard. Not in the plot or anything like that. um, But because when when they wrote Yeoman of the Guard, Gilbert and Sullivan, they wanted to try their hand at grand opera instead of just light operetta. Um, And that's what they wrote. They wrote Yeoman of the Guard, which is, you know, more serious than most of the other plays, but still not. Um, And, and whether or not Plautus set out to write a more serious comedy in Cop TV, um, that's what that's what we get. It lacks several elements that we typically see in his comedies, um, so it is much less body than a lot of what we've read so far in Roman comedy. I mean, this one could be totally clean to listen to with the youngest of children instead of just, you know, maybe your teenagers. Um, it is no surprise, undated, so I really don't have much historical context to place it in. Um, I didn't really find that much. I could have looked harder, I'm sure, on... Um, Plautus's source material. Um, so I don't know how strictly Roman it is versus how much it is an adaptation of the Greek. Um, it is, of course, though, set in Greece. It's in the region of Ayatolia. Um, as usual, I'm working from the Henry Thomas Riley translation. So the following list of characters may or may not be complete or correct. I'm doing my best here. Um, we have Philocrates and his slave Tyndarus, who have been captured and sold to Hegio. Hegio plans to trade them to ransom his son, Philopolemus. Um, and Hegio has another son who was kidnapped by his slave, Stalagmus, when he was only four. Um, and, and so we don't know what's happened to, to that son. We will also meet Hegio's parasite, Ergasilus, and Philocrates' uh, friend, Aristophantes. I will try to keep these names. Obviously, my tongue wanted to twist around them right now. Well, hopefully it'll go better in the next act. Um, that doesn't seem like too much to keep track of. It's really not that many characters. But don't worry, it will get significantly more confusing. <laughs> um, so... Let's take a short break before we try to keep all of these men, and yes, they are all men, there are no women in this play, straight. The play opens in front of Hegio's house. Philocrates and Tyndarus stand on stage, and another actor provides the prologue. 
You see, the old man who lives in the house is named Hegio, and this slave, Tyndarus, is his son. Uh, so you see, Hegio has two sons. When one of them was only four years old, he was kidnapped by a different slave who ran away to Ellis and sold the boy to the father of this other slave, Philocrates, only, you know, he wasn't a slave when that happened. The actor then gets into an argument with someone in the cheap seats about how he's not projecting enough, um, or at least it seems like that's what happens because, of course, we only get the prologue's side of the argument. Eventually, he gets back to providing the backstory to the play. The runaway slave sold the boy to Philocrates' father, and since Philocrates was about the same age, his father gave him the boy as his own slave. Hagio does not know that his son is one of the slaves that he just bought. So that's what's up with one of Hagio's sons. Here's what's happened to the other. The Aetolians are at war with the people of Elis. The other son went off to fight and was captured and bought as a slave by a physician named Menarchus. Hagio now plans to use the slaves he's just bought to ransom his son. He's heard that one of them, Philocrates, is of very high rank, so the deal should go through. Now, here's where it gets confusing. If it isn't confusing yet, that is. Philocrates is concerned about what will happen to him because of his status, so he's convinced Tyndarus to trade places with him. So, Philocrates is pretending to be Tyndarus, and Tyndarus is pre pretending to be Philocrates. Now, you don't need to be worried that there's a war going on. That's happening, you know, over there, off stage, and it won't disrupt our play. I mean, this is a comedy, after all. And with that, the prologue says farewell, and the action of the play begins. Ergasilus enters. He gives a rather typical introductory soliloquy about the hard life of being a parasite. He then goes on to provide commentary about how Hegio has gotten into the distasteful business of the slave trade because he thinks that's the only way he'll be able to ransom his son, not because he really enjoys buying and selling people. Uh, yeah, put a pin in that. Uh, we'll come back to that. Anyway, Ergasilus is on his way to visit Hegio when he sees the door open, so he stands aside and waits instead. Hegio and an unnamed slave enter. Hegio points out his new captives and tells the slave to swap their heavy chains for lighter ones. But he must still keep a close eye on them because it is nearly impossible to recapture a captive who has escaped. The slave suggests that he'd be happy to fly too, if given the chance, which comes as a bit of a shock to Hegio. He sends the slave back inside. Ergasilus steps forward, crying over the matters at hand. He and Hegio talk for a bit before Hegio invites Ergasilus to dinner. It's Hegio's birthday, after all. Ergasilus will happily sell himself for a meal. They barter for a bit, and then Ergasilus exits. Hegio tells the audience that he needs to go check his bank statement before going to his brother's, which was his plan all along, and he exits back into his house. Philocrates Tyndarus and some unnamed slaves and other unnamed captives enter. There is much weeping and wailing over their current state of affairs and whether or not escape is possible. Hegio enters and has a conversation with Philocrates based on the assumption that Philocrates is Tyndarus. Remember, they've swapped identities. Hegio asks for details on Philocrates' family, not knowing that he's asking the real Philocrates. His father's name we'll see if I can do this, it's the delightful tongue twister of Thesaurocrisonococrisides. 
Um, he was given the name Theodoramides at birth, but he was so avaricious that he changed it. Um, you've heard the name Richus Croesus. Yeah, the longer name is is based on that. It's got Croesides, Croesus at the end. Um, it's just it's just a funny part of the play. People trying to pronounce this name. Anyway, having confirmed that Philocrates' father is of very high status, Hegio then talks to Tyndarus, thinking that he's really talking to Philocrates. And yes, this scene gets very confusing as to who is who and who should be sent back to Philocrates' father to arrange for the ransom of Hegio's captured son. Um, presented on stage probably makes much more sense. Reading it, easy to get yourself mixed up. Ultimately, Tyndarus convinces Hegio that Philocrates should be the one to go, and both have their shackles removed. After another lengthy conversation, Tyndarus exits into the house, and Hegio and Philocrates exit to the forum to arrange the necessary papers for Philocrates' mission. Ergosilus enters. He grumbles some more about the plight of a hungry parasite, before announcing that he's off to the harbor in hopes of sponging a meal off someone there. He exits. Hegio and uh, Aristophantes enter. Hegio tells the audience that he has secured the appropriate passport for Tyndarus, who has now gone off home, Um, which, of course, you'll remember is really Philocrates, because, yeah. Anyway, like I said, it gets confusing. After that, he went to his brother's house, because that's where the rest of the captives are being housed, and he asked if any of them knew Philocrates, and and this one, Aristophantes, said he was Philocrates' BFF. Go figure. So Hegio has brought him to see his friend, and they exit into the house. Tyndarus enters from the house, because remember, it's not really Tyndarus who's been sent off home. It's Philocrates disguised as Tyndarus. And the real Tyndarus bemoans the fact that Aristophantes is going to blow his cover. He tries to think of a solution and steps aside. Hegio and Aristophantes enter, along with some unnamed slaves. There follows an extended scene in which Aristophantes insists that the supposed Philocrates is really Tyndarus, and Tyndarus insists that he's really Philocrates, and that Aristophantes is nuts. Ultimately, though, Aristophantes wins. Hegio is furious. He orders Tyndarus to be shackled and whipped and sent to work in the stone quarries. Tyndarus is dragged off, and Hegio and Aristophantes exit to take Aristophantes back to Hegio's brother's house. Ergosilus enters. He does a little dance because he has news that will surely earn him a meal from Hegio. Hegio enters, unseen by Ergosilus, and Ergosilus gives himself a pep tuck as he prepares to knock on Hegio's door. Hegio eavesdrops. Eventually, Ergosilus knocks on the door, and Hegio steps forward so that they can actually talk to each other. <laughs> it takes Ergosilus a while to get to the point, but it turns out that his news is that Hegio's son has returned. Philippolemus, the one who was captured in battle. But there's more. Stalagmus, the slave who kidnapped his other son, has returned too. Hegio exits to the harbor to find them. Ergosilus pronounces his determination to enjoy a feast and exits into the house. A random servant of Hegio enters and tells the audience that Ergosilus is eating them out of house and home, and then he exits. Hegio, Philippolemus, and Philocrates enter, followed by Stalagmus. Philocrates begs for mercy on Tyndarus, and Hegio sends servants to fetch him from the quarries. Philippolemus and Philocrates go inside to wait. Stalagmus confesses to having kidnapped the boy and sold him to one Theodoramides in Elis. And Hegio recognizes that name and realizes what this means and calls for Philocrates to come back outside. 
Philocrates enters. Hagio and Stalagmus tell Philocrates everything they just discussed. Philocrates confirms that this must mean that Tyndarus is Hagio's long-lost son. Hagio is thrilled that his son is home and ashamed that he treated the slave so badly. He never would have behaved that way if he'd known that Tyndarus was his son. Tyndarus is brought on. He is understandably unhappy. Uh, Philocrates tells him that Hagio is his father and his brother is inside. Hagio, Tyndarus, and Philocrates go inside to wait for the blacksmith to come to remove Tyndarus's shackles. Stalagmus tells the audience that the play, which is so unlike any other comedy, has now ended. As I mentioned in the beginning, this play is not like anything else we've read in Roman comedy, which, I mean, Plautus even makes note of that in the prologue and the epilogue, that that what you're going to see today and what you have seen is is unlike what you typically would see in in a Roman comedy. It lacks all of the body elements that we are accustomed to. There are no women, either on stage or off stage. There's there's no romance. There's no henpecking wife. There aren't even really multiple plot lines that may or may not be resolved by the end of the play. Um, this play is really about one thing: slavery. And so, in some ways, it's it's almost more like um, old comedy than than new comedy. It has all the elements of new comedy. We've got stock characters in The Parasite, for example. Um, But we don't even really have a clever slave because who is a slave and and who isn't um, is is a bit of an issue. Um, And we see see two different types of slaves in this play. We see people who've always been slaves. Um, These unnamed characters, some of them have a few lines here and there, but they're not, for the most part, they're not named, right? Um, except for Stalagmus, we have one named slave, Stalagmus, who has run away to get freedom, right? Um, and then we have people who were captured and sold into slavery. So Philocrates, um, Tyndarus, both of these people were born, born wealthy, but were captured or kidnapped and sold into slavery that way. Um, so it, it, it's interesting to see how these two, two different types of slaves are are treated are addressed in the play um now according to ergasillus hecio doesn't want to be a slave trader he's he's only doing this so that he can ransom his son um and that's very frustrating for me because clearly he was involved in the slave trade long before philippolemus was captured he was involved in the slave trade before tyndarus was kidnapped he was always a slave owner uh, so where did those slaves come from, if not from some sort of slave trade? And and that's where we see this differentiation. Um, that it, it almost feels like the play is trying to say that it's okay to buy and sell slaves, people who were born to this life, but it's not okay to buy and sell, to ki- capture people and, and enslave them. Um, so it's not, it, it, so is it okay to buy and sell slaves, but it's not okay to buy and sell captives? Um, and we do note at the end of the play, Hagio feels terrible about his behavior. 
Um, but this is because he knows that he treated his son like a slave. If he'd known that was his son, he never would have behaved this way. He never would have treated him that way. So is that really a change of heart? Um, does this mean that he will never again treat a slave the way he treated Tyndarus? Or he will never again treat a freeborn captive this way? Or just, oh, dude, you're my kid. I, I, I don't treat family that way. It's it's very frustrating, right? Um, so I I think that this play translates really well to a modern audience um, because it presents a topic that can so easily be understood by any audience. Um, not necessarily happy, but but you can understand what's happening. Um, it's much more Shakespearean in that sense. It could be set in a different time period and feel in some ways exactly the same. That that it doesn't have to be done in tunics and togas um, to to feel right that it could be done in modern dress um, and and you would get get the point of the play. Um, so what are your thoughts? How would you interpret it if you were directing today? Pop over to the blog and share your thoughts. The blog is at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. Find me on Patreon as Triumvir Clio. Uh, that page is up and running, so Patreon, patrons get to hear episodes as soon as I make them instead of waiting however many weeks between the time I make them and the time they drop. Um, on Wednesday, we will read book 23 of The Odyssey. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.